Next week, next Sunday and Monday, Al Houghton will be here to close out the year with our outside ministers. So that will also be uh, amazing. Al is an amazing guy. Um, you know, he's one of those, what the Bible calls, companions in tribulation. And, uh, you know, there's the sufferings that go along with Christ, and there's also the reigning that goes along with that if you suffer with him. Al's one of those guys that uh, makes that point, I do believe, as good as anybody I know. So that song that we just sang kind of reminds me of the process of that. I remember when I first got saved, I started uh, walking in an area that uh, we're going to talk about again a little bit today of what this church has, is and was before I arrived. I, I, I came to add to and to continue on what God had called it to be, and that is a, a spiritual prophetic church. Um, you know, uh, we're going to read the scripture in a little bit, but the church was born, birthed by the Holy Spirit, and. Uh, came on the day of Pentecost. They all began to speak in tongues. Uh, that started the church. And uh, has continued ever since. And uh, when I uh, got saved, it was from listening to that. Someone speaking in tongues. I had never heard that before in my whole life. Uh, raised in a Baptist church in Lubbock. And uh, we didn't talk about things like that. All I read was the book of John. You know, that was it. And uh, they started talking about, they, that started happening around me, and it, it saved my sorry soul, as they say. And I fulfilled the scripture. That it's, it's a sign. Tongues is a sign. To the unbeliever that there is a God. I was the only atheist in that crowd that day. And I was the only one to hit my knees. There is a God. Changed my life. And so from that point forward, I began to be visited by God in spiritual things, things of the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that your young men, the tongues is one of the signs, but young men and old men will see visions and dream dreams. I started getting dreams immediately. One of the dreams I had, I think I will begin to see the fulfillment of it. I saw a partial fulfillment of it uh, my first full year. Of being a Christian, I was my last year of law school, and uh, just that close to being what I thought I wanted to be. Thank God I didn't make that far. Went ahead and finished, you know, law school, passed the bar. But my second semester, God began to deal with me about not practicing law, but being a preacher. I thought I thought we had forgotten about that. Because, see, I had, I had first been brought up to me when I was like eight or nine years old in that same Baptist church. I called to the ministry. Then I immediately tried to forget that. And so here we are again. And uh, one of the dreams I had uh, was that, I mean, this one really changed my tune. How many of y'all believe in spiritual dreams? This is right. He said he will speak to his servants, the prophets, in dreams and visions. Okay? That's what he said. So, this dream, and some, most of you have heard it, but I'll tell you anyway. I was on a ship, a warship, and everybody that was in law school with me was on the ship with me. And we were getting drunk. Maybe that was a precursor to this church. What do you think? Maybe it shouldn't be, right? Uh, real drunk. And then they started eating sweets and getting real sick. And uh, and then the, the, the battle cry went out. You know, you see those old World War II movies. They blow that horn. And uh, everybody uh, started running around, and the speaker was saying, man your battle stations, man your battle stations. And everybody was running to their battle stations, except me. I just standing there going, what are we doing? And uh, we were going to war. And I said, well, who are we fighting against? And this guy says, well, don't you know? We're fighting our natural enemy. And he pointed 
to another ship out there, going in the opposite direction. This thing was gleaming white. I mean, it was like glowing white. Our natural enemy. And I knew that that ship was Jesus Christ. And I was on the wrong boat with the legalist. Dig it. Now, the Lord's beginning to show me here in the last couple of years, that fullness of that dream is still ahead of you. Because what's afflicting our nation right now are the legalists. But you look at Washington, D.C., all those bureaucrats, that deep state lawyers and bureaucrats on them all. So, when I started, that scripture that we just actually sang in that last song, no man having put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I told God when I read that scripture, I will not look back. So here we are. You know, we're, we're going right smack into the fullness of this thing. You know, uh, this church, uh, without my vote or my, even my knowledge of what it meant, was being called along with me to become a witness of the things of God. A full-fledged witness of all of it. Good and bad. Things that you would want and things that you would not want. Because how many of us are for suffering? I mean, really, how many of us are? If you raise your hand, I want to say, you're an idiot. But that's the call. To suffer for him. Happy are you. I'm still waiting on the happiness part of it. But when you see what he does through it, then you are. You are happy. So we're called to that, to be a witness. And not just, you know, an observer. But one who walks in what the book of Revelation calls the testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus Christ is... The spirit of prophecy. Okay? It is the spirit of prophecy. Now, not many people, I'm just being honest with you, will go there. Because the whole deal with the spirit is anathema to them. It was to me. I mean, I was on a boat with lawyers. We don't have spirit. Lawyers don't have spirit. Y'all figure that out yet? They have this brain power that's kind of pathetic. And so, I mean, I can say that because I I earned one, right? So I had to really disengage this thing to become a witness. They don't walk together. And so that's that's why I think God saved me the way he saved me. He came at me with what the world would call foolishness. Someone speaking in a tongue. That's foolish. And so close, it saved me. And it's so powerful that I wanted it, but I was so in here, I couldn't get it for three years. And I've told this story. When I finally got it, the first word out of my mouth was, guacamole. So the devil was still trying to pull me. I said, yeah, I told you, you go there, you're going to make a fool out of yourself. Guacamole. Yeah, yeah, is that really a word? I said, yeah, here's about ten more. No, man, I, I did another gear and I let it rip. I don't think I've ever said guacamole ever again in, in speaking in tongues. I did that day. Spirit of prophecy. See, it's where God begins to pour the Spirit of Christ in you. And you begin to live out in your own personal life experiences of Christ that can only be fulfilled. In him. He has to redeem it. He, so when you talk about suffering for Christ, you literally are suffering the things that he will suffer in order to redeem it. David was a great example. He wrote about my hands had nail holes in them. What? My bones are out of shape or out of joint. What? 
He wrote that because he experienced that, and Christ had to fulfill that to redeem us. And some people are called to live that way. And I think this church is. And so we, we go through all kinds of crazy stuff because of the call. Now, one of the calls of the spirit of prophecy is to prophesy. What you do by the spirit is a, is a work of faith. All the gifts of the spirit are operated by faith. And it's faith that, op- that works through love. And if you don't have the love of God in your heart, you will not operate in faith. And if you don't operate in faith, you will not see the gifts of the Spirit. Well, don't shout me down. It's like a track. You just backtrack and say, well, what's the real root of this church? Okay. Now then, what are the areas of prophecy that the Lord has given to me? And through this church, I experienced it. I mean, this church was a part of my experiences. Y'all have to suffer because of me. And uh, me because of you, by the way, too. So there you go. <laughs> um, was, it, was this deal about God showing me six in a row presidents? Six in a row. And then up, up comes the seventh, the last election, Trump. And I told you, I didn't want him to be president. I thought he was a bourish, New York, Yankee, <laughs> don't like that kind of guy. You know, the way he bullied people and put them down. And I mean, to me, I was like, this guy, it's a joke. And then finally, you heard the story. Ten days before the election, God gives me two scriptures in a row. Psalms 2 and Isaiah 54. And I do right then. You're going to make President Trump. You're going to make him the president, aren't you? And he did. So seven in a row, people. And I, you know, I'll stay on the record. It's there. Why is it still a mystery, I think? It makes me wonder. Would it make you kind of wonder? What are you doing? Why does it matter? Well, I don't know for sure. It's not up to us to know for sure. It, we just do. So I want you to go with me. We're going to dig deeper a little bit on this Isaiah 54. When I got those scriptures, turn over there if you would. When I got those scriptures, I did, I felt like Psalm 2 would be the immediate Effect. In other words, that's the one that said for sure that he would become the president. Because it starts off as the Lord said to my to his anointed, and and anyway, we'll go into all that. Uh, it's been said about Trump that he would like be like Cyrus, who was a heathen king. That Cyrus was his anointed. Oh wow! You're saying Trump is his anointed? Sure. I guess you could anoint a donkey. Oh, he would never anoint a donkey. Would he? Would he really? Have you read the first few books of the Bible yet, by the way? He did one day. I dagged up donkey started talking. One of the greatest stories in the Bible. Y'all read that story, right? Balaam and the donkey? The funny thing about that is that the donkey would speak and Balaam would talk back to him. And the donkey would reply to what Balaam said. They were having a conversation. Now, I don't know how you think that works. But I would call it the anointing of God. In some weird way, it is the Holy Spirit. So he can, if he can anoint a donkey, he can anoint me and you to speak for him. And we don't know why. But Isaiah 54 was the one I felt like would be the long-term player. Psalms 2 gets you in the door. Isaiah 54 will keep you in the door. As soon as I got up, boy, there is some warfare coming. And now I see that it was true. We're three years into this guy's presidency, and they're still trying to impeach him. All right. So here's the word. Isaiah 54, verse 15. Indeed, they shall surely gather together in King James, which is what's stuck in my brain, because I'll live through this scripture. It's one of the reasons I know this is going to happen. They shall surely gather together, but not because of me. Whoever gathers against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created a blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created a spoiler or waster to destroy. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, 
and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. All right, no scripture. I felt then, 10 days before that election, that that scripture would be a long-term player, and now I know it is. It is the game plan of God, spoken before it happened. And now it's happening right in front of us. So today I want to drill down into the scriptures, you know, get a little deeper into them and see how it applies. Now what I want you to know is it applies to Trump. But don't kid yourself. That guy is just a forerunner of us. He is like first fruits of what's coming to a theater near you. Okay? This movie is coming your way. He's a Christian, if you guys don't know that. He, I mean, I don't, we're not going to judge how much of a Christian. Don't judge me on how much of a Christian I am. But he is a Christian. And so, and he is the leader of the nation that God planted there. So get ready. He is literally going ahead of us. And here we come right behind us. So what he experiences, expects the same. All right, let's kind of drill down a little bit. The, uh, the first part of it. They will surely to gather... But not because of me, God says. Not because of me. Some of these other references, another way of saying it is my will is not there. God's will is not there, what they're doing. So I want you to compare that to the way we're supposed to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. So they go together, his kingdom and will. So what is being done isn't God's kingdom coming. Because it's not God's will. They're not doing the bidding of the Lord, is what a, a better way of saying that. In fact, my, my take on that is that their goals are not God's goals. What's going on, they have a, an intention and a goal, but that's not God's goal. But God's letting it happen. In fact, he predicted it. Uh, it will happen. So we'll get into that a little bit more. So they have different goals. Now, when they begin, and they've already begun, it becomes uninterrupted war. Like I said last week, this is like a soap opera. You can miss a week or two weeks or however long you want of news. And then turn on the TV, it looks like the same thing. The players change a little bit. Somebody comes up from the dead, you know, and you know, all that stuff that goes on in soap operas. It is a continual run of the same movie. Uninterrupted war. If this one don't work, they come up with another one. Just unending. Satan raises new attacks every day with blind fury. Uh, If I didn't, if I could keep my emotions out of it, it would almost be worth to watch these TV deals these uh, news things, with these guys like Schefter and those guys. Uh, he looks like Pinocchio to me. How about you? Nose. I think it's growing. They're caricatures. And what really kills me is they act, they act like we believe their stuff. Yeah, we're, we're going to... Did LSU win? That's the only thing that matters, right? Compared to that, it's crud. Well, Tech did too, so there you go. And Texas, we have a trifecta. Did they them with or they didn't play? It doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> Josh is never here for my good ones. Uninterrupted war. They have evil intent. They're going at him. Now, ultimately, this will end up somewhere. It ends up in the book of Revelation. Turn there. 16. Gathering together with evil intent. Chapter 16 of Revelation, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his blood on the great river Euphrates, and his water was dried up, so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons. Performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle. 
of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. So the gathering together that we see prophesied by Isaiah ends up being the battle of the ages. Armageddon. Chapter 19 of the same book. Verse 19. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies. In other words, it's not just these beasts and false prophets. The people of the earth, human beings, are also gathered together, and their armies gathering together to make war against him, that's Jesus, who sat on the horse, and against his army. So we have people in the armies gathering together. It's culminating. It's just building up. Okay? We're seeing the pro- uh, that process at work right now. Now, the phrase, uh, they gather together against you. Now, this is an interesting little twist here. Because in the Hebrew, that word against you can also mean in you. They gather together in you. So, the, the point being is that this attack is both external from the outside, outside the church, outside of Trump's deal, CNBC, CNN, and internal. It's in your midst. Have you noticed the, the, the fascinating thing to me about this deal with Trump is his issue is with the deep state. Isn't that interesting? Those guys have been there forever, and they are planted inside the White House. Is that nuts or what? You can't get away from them. The, they, I think they're the bigger, the bigger thing, is that deep state thing. Those, these guys are they're all starting to come out. Have you noticed? People who've been working in the State Department and the Defense Department, the people who are the, you know, the bureaucrats, are coming out now to testify. You think that matters? Does it matter? I think it matters. We'll see, well, I'll show you why here in a little bit. So, against you and in you. Outside enemies, inside enemies. Matthew 10, turn there. Matthew 10 kind of shows this as well as anything. Because this is the scripture that I think we'll play uh, going forward for the rest of our day. Jesus was showing us something here. When he sent out his first set of witnesses. It was his apostles. All right? So he's showing how he's going to do for the rest of the time. He will send out witnesses again. So just look at what he does as he sends out his witnesses. And as we read this, you're going to find that a lot of the things that he's saying in here apply to these guys during that time. But a lot of it was prophetic beyond their day. It was prophetic in the sense it was still ahead of them, too. But it went beyond their lives. And is literally speaking to the end of time. And that's the way prophecy typically is. It's like trousers. Is that singular or plural? Trousers. It's both. So, you know, it has an immediate application, and then it has a far-term application. Prophecy does. And in Matthew 10, he sends out his, his 12. And so what he said to them will apply to us. Reading, starting in verse 16. External, internal enemies. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. By the way, when I went through this stuff, my personal experience with Isaiah 54 was when I was working with my, my secular company, Unisys. And I told that story last week. We won't go into it again. But as, they, as I walked through the gathering together, God would speak to me with stuff. I mean, it was blowing me away. This verse here was one of them. I want to send you out like sheep among wolves. That's exactly how I felt. Like a sheep among wolves. And God would say, now notice as you walk in this door, they will start gathering together like a wolf pack. They're wolves. And I would watch it. It would happen. Oh, God, I'm going crazy. Gathering together like wolves. Therefore, 
This is the hard part. Be wise as serpents and harmless as a dove. You'd like to get your gatling gun out and just mull them down one time. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Now, synagogues is a church. That's internal enemy. But that's not just it. Look at verse 18. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. That's external. People that don't know God. External, internal. There's more. Verse 19. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. This is hard to do. For it is not you who speak. But the spirit of your father who speaks in you. That is absolutely a critical thing. that You should underline that. When we get into this time, you better know how to walk with the Holy Spirit. Because your brain is going to fail you. Fear will paralyze your brain. It will. Holy Spirit has to speak. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death. Now, here's the internal again. Brother to brother, a father is child, children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So you got your inside stuff and outside stuff. In the church, in families, and the people outside the church that don't even know God, including kings. Verse 23. When they persecute you, and some of these things we don't particularly care for, persecution is one of them. But that is a sign of the end time. Persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone over through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Now what is about to take place here is you're going to see the door, if you will go through it, into the sufferings of Christ. You're not above Jesus. You're not, you're not, you're not better. You're not even different. He was the Son of God. The first fruits. The first Son of God. And we are the latter sons of God. We're not Jesus. But he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Now that's a mystery. I don't know how it works. That's what he said. So we're not above him. He's our master, but we are his disciple. We're supposed to learn to be like him. And that's how the bride ends up, like him. Verse 25, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. And here's another thing to keep in mind. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of the household? Now, Beelzebub, of all the demons that are out there, the one that he brings up is Baal. Baal. And Baal is Satan. You know, Lucifer. And I had an amazing bunch of revelations, spiritual events that blew me away about Baal. That I did not know. It wasn't up here. Folks, I had read the Bible many times. And yet when I first ran into the spiritual warfare that was coming against this church when it first started, I asked God, what was that? It was so stifling. It was like, this, like a wet sponge just sat on the entire congregation and no one could even move or speak. It was awful. And I began to see God, what was that? Unmistakable a presence. And I was mowing the grass one day and God spoke to me. Out of left field, Judges 6, I killed the lawnmower, went in the house, opened up the Judges 6, and ran right smack into Baal. And he says, that's what it was. And then I had an untold number of experiences about people who knew Baal. They were witches and warlocks and all kinds of demonized people that knew him. Can you dig that? People who astral traveled and went into the heavenly heavenlies and learned things from people 3,000 years old and all kinds of weird stuff. But they knew Baal. I asked him, well, did you see Lucifer up there? Yeah. Lucifer. Y'all know who he is, by the way? Does anybody not know who Lucifer is? 
Satan, right? But for some reason, I said, do you know Lucifer? And the guy said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we know, we know Lucifer. He's nothing. We have power over him. You have another name that you call him? Yeah. Baal. Really? Whoa. Spirit of prophecy at work in a church. So when we come to this scripture, don't be deceived. They came right at Jesus saying, the things that you do are through the power of Satan. They will do the same to you. Did y'all get that? Don't be surprised. All right. Matthew 23. Who are these internal yahoos? Well, Jesus, he talked about it. They're, you know, they're obviously internal enemies in their synagogues and even in your families. It gets crazy at the end. Totally crazy. Matthew 23. Jesus speaks to the leaders of them all. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say. Now, that is a key thing. They say. Now, we'll get back to this later. But they have to speak, folks. So don't be surprised that you're hearing a lot of stuff. They have to speak. Amen? Just, you Trust me on this one. It's important that words come out of their mouth. Okay? It has to be this way. They say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Boy, Jesus is clever. By the, by the fact that they said that we are the sons of them, well, you are them. It's just like your daddy. Philip, then, the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets. Now, we know that prophets are the ones that speak by what? The Spirit of God. Their utterances were not by their own will. They were moved by the Spirit of Christ in them. So I'm going to send guys like that, prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues, in your synagogues, and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. That's that's heavy. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate. So Jerusalem is a picture to us of, in our day, the church. The church. Now we know the Old Testament version of that Jerusalem killed the prophets, right? Scourged everybody. They didn't treat them very well. If they walked into that place with the Holy Spirit, bam, they got reacted to in a negative way. I wonder if anything has ever changed. Look at Acts chapter 7. This is right after the church is born by the Holy Spirit getting poured out on the day of Pentecost. And they all come out, you know, into the streets, speaking in tongues. And everybody thought they were drunk. Hmm. I wonder why they thought they were drunk. You think they were acting unbetoured? Maybe a little out of bounds? Do drunks act weird? Have y'all ever been around a drunk? Don't look at your husband. Any other drunk. Don't you hate to be around a bunch of drugs? 
They don't make no sense. They think they're funny. They think they're, they think they're really sexy, right? You go, barf. If you're not drunk, don't get around drunks. And I don't say that you should get drunk. Four square, don't get drunk, okay? But these people thought these guys with the Holy Spirit were drunk. So they obviously were acting normal. And the church gets born. 3,000 people get saved that day with someone who was acting drunk. You ever been watching Kanye West? Isn't that crazy? Mm. A modern reactor. Well, as soon as the church gets born, you know, they start building the church, and the Pharisees are still around, and they ain't liking what they're seeing. And there was a real zealot among the uh, the church. His name was Stephen. He was a, I think he was a deacon, if I'm not mistaken. And, and they, I actually watched a movie one time. They were trying to get him to calm down because he was very zealous, and he just wanted to, you know, preach everywhere he went. But, uh, and who knows if that movie was right, but we, he did end up here. We got it on paper. So let's just walk with Stephen here. He's been fun of all these Pharisees. That Jesus had referred to. In verse 51, <laughs> this is his closing chapter of his sermon. He says, I want to close with this. And boy, did he ever close with this. It's the last thing he ever did. Verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. You have now become the betrayers and murderers who have received the few by the direction of angels and have not kept it. What is he attributing their killing the prophets of? What's the root cause of them killing prophets? They always resist the Holy Spirit. They always resist the Holy Spirit. And so when someone comes with the Holy Spirit, what are they going to do? Resist them. In all sorts of ways. And they ended up stoning him. And killing him. And all he could do was see Jesus and don't hold this at their hand, at their feet. So, there's your issue. Folks, the battle at the end is going to be about the Holy Spirit. At least inside the church. The Holy Spirit. The church has, since the, the book of Acts been trying to squelch the move of the Holy Spirit. They want to control it. They managed to finally quench it, its use, by the second and third century. It just disappeared. Because there was a lot of persecution of those that did that. There was one group that did that, continued on with that. They finally ran them out of the church because of one big heresy. You know what the heresy was? That group of people believed in the priesthood of believers. And didn't pay homage to the bishops of the church. And so since they did not think that the bishops were lifted up, they said they were heretics and ran them out of the church. Oh, they were like holiness people, like a sickness of God. And they let women prophesy. Oh, my God. So from the very get-go, they've been trying to push it out. And they managed to do that. Until the first day of the 20th century. And here he comes back again. God had to wait 15, 16, 17, 100 years and brought it back again to a bunch of Methodists. And we know how they are about stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Methodists. You can trust them to be something. And here it comes in Kansas. First day of the 20th century, they begin to speak in tongues again. Satan thought he squelched the, the move of the Holy Spirit for centuries. Yeah, he had but since that day, the number of people in this world who speak in tongues has went from zero to 600 million. 600 million. I think they lost the argument. But they do not stop. They still try to squelch the Holy Spirit. Every generation, I've seen it. I'm, like I said, I've been around the block a couple times now. I've seen it. They will always come back and try to squelch the Holy Spirit. Okay. They did it in, this, in the beginning of church. They will do it to the end of the church. Joel 2. 
Joel 2. This is a scripture that Peter quoted on the day that the church was born. Verse 28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Whoops, prophesy. Paul said you should all desire eagerly the best gifts, especially to prophesy. Of all nine gifts, the one that you should desire the most is to prophesy. And don't forbid to speak in tongues. That's Paul's take on the thing. So here comes the Holy Spirit. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Which I was a young man when I dreamed a dream. Because I've always been an old cold. Your young men shall see visions and also my men's service and my maid service, the women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. And the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, like Kanye West, shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Chapter 3, verse 1, it continues. In fact, the, the footnote down here says, is this thing, in those days, it's pointing back to what we just read. In those days and at that time. When I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also, here we go again, gather together. I will gather all nations to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there. On account of my people, my heritage Israel, who they scattered among the nations and divided up their land. So here we have God actually involved in this gathering together that we started out with. He says, not because of me. In other words, it's not their goals or not my goals in this. They think they got this thing going. What they don't know is I have set them up. I am gathering them. They think they're doing it on their own. They're hiding in locked rooms and stuff like that. God is behind all of it. They just don't know that because they don't know God. And if you taught it to them, they'll think you idiot trying to put you in some legion bin. Jump down to verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. This is like Revelation 16. Get ready. This is, this is about war. Only you're on the wrong boat, dudes. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near and let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords. Your broom hooks into spears and let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations. Gather together all around. And cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. This is amazing. In the time of warfare, there's going to be an amazing harvest. Come and go down. For the wine press is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. A lot of people are right here. Verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. What is God? Which one's God? For the day of the Lord is near. In the day of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark. The stars will diminish their brightness. And the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a shelter for his people. And the strength of his people, Israel. All right. So, God's goal in all of this was to set the stage for something they never saw coming. Go back to Isaiah 54. Again, verse 15. They will surely gather, but not because of me. Whoever gathers against you will fall for your sake. See, they think they're going to gather together to impeach. To take the, him out of the place... That God gave him. Really? You got that much horsepower? Really? Take a shot. Take a shot. And I gave you my story last week about how they took that shot at me. And the four bosses above me all got fired on the day they were supposed to fire me. I stayed. They left. 
They gathered together. They conspired. So they will fall for your sake. The NET, NET version says they shall surrender to you. I like that. They're going to surrender to you. Now, I would love to see this. I'd love to see Nancy Pelosi say, you know, maybe we were wrong. Maybe. This commentary on Isaiah, this guy says, this, this is amazing. The whole world rises up against you, and it will be crushed by its own weight. It just, it just implodes. The bigger it gets, the worse it's going to get. I love the pulpit commentary. This is really good. This is like 1800 stuff. They will stumble and be overthrown through striking you. This is cool stuff. It's like judo. The fact that they're striking you is the sign that they will be overcome. He's going to take what they do and smack them with it. Same thing they used. That sword, by the way, is two-edged. And it will strike them with the intent that they had to strike you. So, because of you. So, you watch these guys. You watch this watch. 16 to 17, he says, Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows up coals of the fire and works an instrument for his work, and I created the spoiler to destroy. Now, what that is saying to us is that God, you know, God gives men the ability to, to forge things, you know, to make things like uh, uh, weapons. And what are they for? To war, to destroy, to do things. And he gives men that ability to do that. He also gives men the ability to set up institutions that he will back up. He backs all this up. Like the government, for example. Did you know the Bible says that we should submit to the government, the ruling authorities? Because they are instruments of God given on earth to have a, 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 a well, we all can live in peace. They are supposed to be an instrument against evil. And he will always back that up. It's not perfect because men are perfect. But the institution itself is ordained of God. God gives them the ability to set that up. Unless they take that faith and turn its power against God's people. Whoa, you just crossed the line, you see. So he said, okay, I gave you the ability to do all this stuff, but... Verse 17, no weapon formed against my people is going to, it ain't going to happen. And these weapons ultimately turn out to be tongues rising against you in judgment. Did I not say a little earlier, it's necessary that they speak. Amen, you with me? They have got to speak. So he says, okay, I'm just going to turn this completely around. They go, these guys are going to cause many to hate us. They will convince. They'd be very convinced. And they got most of the networks convinced. And they will appear to have plausible arguments with the appearance of a just cause in a legal matter. Really? Wow, that sounds just like what we're watching. But their things will turn against them. Now, I've been saying they have to speak first. Every time it rises against them in judgment, we'll condemn. Look at Psalms 2, real fast. We're going to end here. Psalm 2. This was a scripture given along with Isaiah 54 about Trump getting in. Verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? That sounds just like the Democrats, doesn't it? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, look at against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... They've got to speak. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. They are saying, we do not want this man to rule over us. They've got to speak. Look in Luke. Luke chapter 19. This is a parable about the, uh, <clears throat> the meanest. You know, some guys did well with it. There was one that didn't do so well with the one that God gave him. And he didn't do anything with it. But he has to say something about, you know, his condition. Verse 22. Uh, verse 21. He said, I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And Jesus says back to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. 
you wicked servant. You knew I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. So why didn't you put my money in the bank? But the appropriate point here is, out of your own mouth, the weapons that you form, out of your own mouth, he's going to take it and use it against you. Does that sound kind of like what Jesus warned us of? Judge not, lest you be judged. Why do you behold a speck in a brother's eye? When there's this beam in your eye, you should fear God. That's what you should do. Before you get so high and mighty and ready to, you know, whittle someone down. Maybe the reason you sit so well is because it's in you. In spades. Okay. Last one. Matthew 12. Verse 23 talks about a man who was demon-possessed, and Jesus healed him. Demon-possessed. So there's no doubt about what we're talking about. God had a demon. Jesus heals him. 23, all the multitudes were amazed. I said, could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees, who? The Pharisees, who always resist the Holy Spirit, right? When they heard this, they said, this fellow... Jesus does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And didn't we just say in Matthew 10, if they call me that, they're going to call you that. So what are they saying, folks? That the things that Jesus does is a work of the devil. Is that a nice little paraphrase? Mm-hmm. So I thought it said 25. Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, so there he equates Satan with Beelzebub. He is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? 27 is an amazing scripture. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub or Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Isn't that a great point? He's got them checkmate. Doesn't he? Okay, so your, your sons have been casting out demons? Or have they been casting out demons? I mean, seriously. Show me your scars. Show me your suffering. Because when you suffer with him, you reign with him. Show me your, your scars and your suffering. If they cast out demons, how do they do it? Well, oh, you mean they haven't been casting out demons. And they are your sons. So you taught them to not cast out demons. Right? Either way they go, he's got them dead to, to rights. That's the way God works. I mean, he can, boy, he can put you in the corner. Verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the what? The Spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now here's what I see. The same way that they accused Jesus of doing whatever he did by the works of the devil. In the last day, the internal enemies will do the exact same thing. Saying, it ain't God. Folks, when you start... Disparaging people and their and their ministries, you better watch it. Because Jesus said, "You guys," he starts talking about you're blessed. You're getting close. He didn't say that you are, but he hinted they either are or close to the one sin that will never be forgiven: blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They put uh, a knock on him. They they they, they minimize him. They have an impious irreverence toward him. Now, if you go into the churches of today, remember this. Five out of seven in the book of Revelation, 
Jesus had to rebuke them. They were in danger of losing what they had. Two didn't get a rebuke. And one of them said, he said, but you're fixing to go through some suffering. You haven't finished your course yet. So the great majority of the church is in a place where they should not be. They've let other things kind of pull them away from the Spirit of God. We have lost sight. This is my bill. We have lost sight that the, the, the Godhead is the Trinity. We give all the reverence that we should to Father God. We should, I mean, we should always do that. We give all the reverence to Jesus. All eyes are on Him, as they should be. But we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We say, oh, well, yeah, and the Holy Spirit. He is God. And we think so lightly of criticizing people who walk in the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So my point is just back away. Don't worry yourself about things too great for you. That's one, that's a great, that's a problem. I don't concern myself with things too great for me. I think that's all. And these things are too great for me. I will focus on the things that are before me and do my best. I know this, that when you start being irreverent toward the people of God, like Jesus said, if you did it unto me, did it unto the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me. So when we talk about Kanye West, I've already heard, you know, a lot of people have a reaction to that guy. I'm sure he was a tutor. I've never, never listened to his stuff. I'm sure he was awful. But my God, I got a list of them that I used to listen to all the time. They're, they're pretty bad. Ozzy Osbourne, you remember that guy? My God. I didn't listen to me. I was holy for that guy. When you, <laughs> when you watch people, watch out how you watch them. Even though they may be the least of his brethren, just saved. Criticism is not a good idea. Because whatever you do to him, you do to Jesus. And if we start calling out, did you know that Kanye West the, the other day had a, had a service? 10,000 people were there. They say at least 1,000, probably two or 3,000 got saved. Now, we could say real easily, well, that was the devil. Well, that was the strobe lights or whatever. Who gets people saved? Holy Spirit gets people saved. No man can come to the Father except through him. So when we start saying, oh, that wasn't God. You're getting close. You better watch out. Just back it up a little bit. Let God be God. He'll, he'll flush it all out. Take the advice of Gamaliel when the church got born. He was Paul's tutor. And he was really respected. And everybody wanted to shut these guys down, the, the, the apostles. He says, I think it's a better idea than just to don't do nothing. Let's just do nothing and see what becomes of this. Because if we fight this, we're going to be find our, we might find ourselves fighting God. He proved to be right. I'm sure that when Paul got saved, he went back to his teachers and said, you'll never believe what happened to me. Maybe Gamaliel got saved. So if we're coming into a time of the great harvest, read the Bible. It's going to go to people that are not worthy. That's why he called them. Go out to the highways and the hedges and find those who are not worthy and bring them in here. And we go, oh, yeah, but that can't be God. Oh, really? It probably was God. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can do this. We can do this. I know that every time I get close to that, God sends me a little reminder that that's not a good idea to sit there in judgment of his servants. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Amen? Did y'all learn anything? Hopefully. Watch what goes on with Trump. If this really is God, there's going to be an amazing blow up.
coming their way. And I think God will give this man a chance to finish the work that he sent him to do. We need to redeem the Supreme Court. Okay. That will give us a generation of goodness and righteousness better than the alternative. Let's put it that way. Or we will be overwhelmed by the LGBTQ stuff, infanticide, uh, you just name the evil, persecution against the church coming your way. What they did to Trump, they'll do it to you. It's probably going to, well, it's going to come anyway. But let's give ourselves another four or five years. Y'all good for that? I'm good for that. Father, I just pray for us. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. Holy Spirit, we need you too. Let's remember. All of us remember this. That every single one of us who are born again, we're born by the Spirit of God. That's how we got here. Let us stay with Him. In Jesus' name. Amen. We got a little meal going on back there for those who are hungry.